And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. It's Tuesday as we get this week kind of going along here. Of course, uh, yesterday the markets had a nice rebound, of course, as we've been talking about over the last week or so. A lot of the sell-off that we saw in the markets over the last really about week and a half was really not unexpected. We had been talking about the potential for mutual fund distributions. And, you know, if you haven't seen it already, there's if you own a mutual fund, you've probably seen a drop in the price of the mutual fund. Well, that's partly due to the decline of the markets, but also partly due to the distributions that are coming out of those funds. And so, you know, that's been putting some additional selling pressure on the market. Here's some interesting stats for you this morning. If you subscribe to our daily market commentary, which is actually posted on the website now at realinvestmentadvice.com, but at 7.30 this morning, it'll get, uh, central time, it'll get emailed out to you before the market opens. But a couple of interesting stats. There are now as many stocks in the NASDAQ down 20 or 50% from their highs as there were in December of 2018 when we were in the middle of the Fed's taper tantrum, right? So that's pretty interesting. But yet, interestingly enough, the, the NASDAQ itself is only down about 5% from its peak. So how can you have so many stocks down 20 to 50% in the NASDAQ if the market, if the NASDAQ index itself is still near its peak, well, that's because four stocks, Apple, Google, Microsoft, and NVIDIA, those four stocks have accounted for nearly 70% of the S&P 500's advance in just the last six months. That's why. So what you're seeing in these indexes is a bit deceiving because if you take a look at your portfolio, you're likely going to see a lot of stocks down a whole lot more here recently than just three, four, five percent from the peak. And that's because what's happening underneath the surface, and again, this is the problem with market cap weighted indexes, and particularly today, when you take a look at the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ, the top five, six, seven, eight stocks in the S&P 500 make up almost 30% of the entire market cap weighted section of the index. So when you have three or four stocks like Apple and Microsoft and Google and Facebook, and those stocks are holding up in price, they, they, they act like a buoy for the entire market. So the entire market seems to be doing okay, but underneath the surface, there's a lot of damage being done to stocks really across the board. Take a, uh, take a look at stocks like Etsy and DocuSign and Adobe and a lot of others. And they are down sharply here over the last couple of weeks. A stock called Asana uh, was one of the favorite kind of meme stocks back in September and October. And I was watching the stock and it was just rocketing higher. It was up, you know, 150% from its previous moves. Just a very, very sharp advance, giving up a large chunk of that advance just in the last two weeks. It's been a very brutal decline, but that's that's been very common in a lot of these kind of meme stocks and particularly stocks that are kind of in that ARK index. You know, Kathy Wood, she's the uh, uh, the proprietor of the ARK funds and she was, you know, held as one of the visionaries of the markets in late 2020 and early 20 uh, and early 21 of this year. Of course, this year now the, the, the her fund is vastly underperforming the S&P, actually has a negative return for this year. 
but that's because a lot of the stocks that she owns are these smaller cap weighted names in the index that trade below the surface of the markets. And you don't really see it because when you look at just the S&P or the NASDAQ, you go, well, the market's not down that much. But underneath the surface, a lot of these smaller cap companies uh, that are, are kind of the meme stock favorites are really, really getting hurt fairly badly here. But, you know, so that's kind of where we are in the global picture. But as we talked about last Friday, and, and of course, last Friday, we talked about you know, increasing equity exposure in our portfolio. We talked about that in this weekend's newsletter. So if you go to our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, it's amazing what you find there at the website, just all kinds of stuff, daily commentary, newsletters, blogs, uh, on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the newsletter link and uh, scroll down to our portfolio changes. And we talk about the adjustments we made to our portfolio. And on Friday, we added some S&P exposure uh, for a second time uh, to our portfolio here. And that was because the market was bottoming right along this 50-day moving average, getting very oversold on multiple levels. And now we're starting to see that kind of turn in the markets as expected. Again, we're kind of getting through that mutual fund distribution and we got very oversold on the short-term basis. So getting a rally here, not surprising. And we'll likely kind of rally back up to uh, uh, you know, around the 20-day moving average. You know, That's the kind of the first level of resistance. I doubt we see new highs. Um, over the next week or so, very likely what will happen here is we'll get a rally back to probably the 20-day moving average. And again, that's you know around 4,600 on the S&P 500 if you're, if you're tracking that index. And that'll actually kind of act like a little bit of a resistance, but we've got some more mutual fund distributions to go through over the next week. And you typically see a bit more weakness. Now, again, it doesn't mean the markets are having another big decline, but we could see some sloppy trading here over the next week or so where these distributions are still going on. Volume in the market remains very light here and, and overall money flows are, are still pushing a bit to the negative side. So again, uh, wouldn't be surprised to see some sloppy trading between now and, and really next Wednesday, Thursday as we finish up those mutual fund distributions. The good news though is that should set the markets up very nicely for that end of year Santa Claus rally. And, and you know, while we call it the Santa Claus rally, all it really is, is is these mutual funds and hedge funds and pension fund managers rebalancing their portfolio for the end of the year, what we call window dressing, right? They want to make sure that they have all the right stocks, you know, on their portfolio at the end of the year. So when they send out their statements to, to clients, the clients go, oh, look, I own Tesla or whatever the, the hot stock is that they wanted the fund to own oh, I own it. Well, they may have owned it for a day because they bought it on December 30th, but it'll be on the report, right? So that's, that's what we call window dressing. And that buying activity, that kind of finishing up the rebalancing and uh, getting through distributions, rebalancing portfolios, increasing exposure back to stocks, back to target levels, that kind of gives you that end of the year lift. Now, I doubt, and again, anything is possible but you know, potentially we've seen the highs for this year. We may get back to these previous highs by the end of the year, but you know, seeing new highs from here probably is 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 not going to. We probably won't see that. Um, but you know, anything is possible. And as we get into the first five days of January, that tends to continue the trend. So we might see some additional lift to the markets in the first five days or so of January. But as we're going to talk about on the show today, I've got Michael Leewitz joining me. Um, we've got a lot of predictions right now. This is the prediction time of the year. 
And this is where we start predicting out for next year. What is next year going to be? Or Goldman Sachs, 5,100. And, and, you know, that's kind of the new high watermark for uh, Wall Street to be trying to beat. I'm sure, I'm sure somebody will come out shortly with 52, 53, 5,400 for next year. We'll see all that. We're going to talk about the value of predictions in markets and what you should be doing with your portfolio now as we get ready to go into the new year right so there's so as we move into the new year what to expect there's a lot of things going on fed rate hikes we've got the economy so many other things we're getting all that this morning with michael leibowitz in the meantime though make sure and get by the website realinvestmentadvice.com click on the daily commentary link get our daily commentary subscribe there we'll deliver that to you every morning before the market opens subscribe to our newsletter so much there for you to help you manage your money better, realinvestmentadvice.com. Be right back after the break. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com retirement's not what it used to be and long-term care could enhance your golden years the question is not whether you can afford it but whether you can afford not to have it our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement join jonathan penn and chris liebham for the basics of long-term care register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care december 9th at noon realinvestmentadvice.com the real Investment Show. Are you ready now? Are, are you ready? Okay, Brent's ready now. It's, you know, on his schedule is how we run this show. <laughs> so, did you see yesterday? Uh, AOC uh, was in a interview yesterday and she says there is no did you see this you didn't see this okay so she was in this interview yesterday and she said there's absolutely no evidence that these retail flash mob robberies are actually occurring she said well it's just Walmart there's no evidence that supports that California announced yesterday they just had the largest retail bust ever eight million dollars in merchandise recovered from uh, flash mob robberies in California. So, yeah, no evidence except $8 million worth of it. (laughs) But it's okay. It's, you know, it's Christmas. Go rob a store. It's it's just completely fine. It's it's all good. Speaking of, Mike just got back from his flash mob robbery. Mike, good morning. Welcome to you. Thank you. We just cleaned up this morning. We just hit the Dunkin' Donuts and got them all. (laughs) So, uh, you know, a couple of things to get into this morning I was talking about uh, before the show is that, you know, right now this is uh, prediction time of the year. And this is now where we have all of the major Wall Street firms coming out, pinning their predictions on the markets for next year. Of course, they're inevitably always higher. Uh, Goldman Sachs now has 5,100 uh, pegged for the markets for next year. 
Uh, the only kind of the oddball from this was Morgan Stanley actually predicted a lower number. They actually said 4,400 for next year. So that's that's a rarity. Generally, you never see a, a Wall Street firm actually announce a lower rate of return for the markets. But uh, again, you know, we've talked about before the value of predictions is pretty low because, you know, so many things can happen. And we certainly have a you know, a tremendous number of things occurring next year between the Fed tapering their balance sheet, potentially hiking rates, and now it looks like they may be even moving up their rate hikes faster. Um, of course, you know, this is kind of interesting considering that, you know, there's, you know, kind of signs on the horizon, troubles in the markets, and, and you know, where's the Fed? You know, you always kind of expect the Fed to come bail out, bail out the markets every time a correction, and they haven't showed up this time. So there's certainly some some things as we move into next year. Inflation, economic growth um, could certainly provide some headwinds to some of these predictions. Kind of wanted to, to talk about that a little bit with you and, you know, talk about how to position as we go into next year as well. So, you know, kind of getting into this idea of predictions, uh, you know, this, you know, as we kind of look at where these analysts are, you know, they're always kind of predicting higher because obviously have products to sell. <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of just – you know, guesses at where we might be. There's not really any kind of, you know, strategy to it. It's just kind of drawing a, a, a trend line out and says, okay, if we just kind of go in this direction, we'll kind of hit this point, and that's what the numbers should be. What are your thoughts? Well, the, I mean, look, the math tells them that they're going to be right eight out of 10 times, nine out of 10 times, right? So if my job is to predict the market without without having money on the line and just saying where it's going to be, I'm going to say it's going to be up seven, eight, 10% every year. Mm -hmm. Because on average, that's what it does. The problem with that, as we know, where you have years where it's down 30% or up 25%. And so you miss the outliers. But look, they're just playing the averages. They want to try to look smart and they'll end up looking smart five of the six, you know, five of six years. They'll be okay for a couple of years and they'll just grossly miss uh, a couple of years. Like 2008, there was a uh, a great graphic, I think, from CNBC, mm -hmm. and it had the top 10 analyst expectations for this was must have been December 2007 for 2008. And every single one of them is up, you know, called five to 15 percent from the current level. Knowing I mean, these guys work for banks. They know what was going on beneath the surface, yet. They didn't, you know, they went with the same, well, the economy is going to grow 4% and inflation and this. So it should grow about 8%, 10%, right? Right. Uh, you said Morgan Stanley was slightly lower. Yeah, that was uh, kind of unusual, 4,400 for uh, Morgan Stanley. Wow. They're going to get the tap on the shoulder from Mr. Powell. <laughs> That's, that'll be, they're, they're going to, that'll be 5,400, Lance. Just, uh, oh, it was wait a typo. Mr. Powell sees it. Yeah, it was, it was a typo. You're absolutely correct. But, 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 you know, it is interesting, though, because it is kind of really a, you know, kind of a, a double edged sword here because they really have to kind of predict higher because, again, they're trying to sell product to clients. And, and if they come out and say, well, the markets are going to be negative next year, it's going to make it a lot more difficult for their sales crew to go sell, you know, new IPO shares or whatever it is to, you know, their client base, which is how they make money, right? Right. right. I mean, that's what we always have to remember. Wall Street makes money, makes a lot more money when a stock market goes up than when it goes down. We saw how much money they made in 2008, mm -hmm. enough money that they needed to be bailed out by the government, <laughs> by the Federal Reserve, right? So they are incented, and, and by they, it's not even the bank, it's the executives right. who get paid in shares. They are incented to get their stock price higher 
And just like the salesman for anything, they're going to promote their product and their product happens to be the markets. Right. And mm -hmm. that's what they're promoting. So it, it's not surprising. But I think what you alluded to earlier is and it, it's interesting. Last my daughter asked me, my daughter had her interview me for some kind of career thing. Right. And one of her questions was, what's the hardest part of your job? And I thought about it, and obviously dealing with Lance was number one, <laughs> and number two, and number three. But I really thought about it. And the hardest part is trying to separate the narrative from the reality. Yeah. And, and, and to some degree, you know, what you're talking about next year is a huge separation of narrative and reality. The reality is there's a lot of headwinds that will be coming upon the markets next year that we did not have this year. There were a lot of tailwinds this year that will go away next year. So the reality is it's a different market environment. Now the narrative will will shift with the winds, right? And you know, hats off to Lance because he's been talking about this mutual fund distribution and how it's going to affect flows. You've been yapping about it now for what, four weeks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Driving us all crazy. Uh, nobody but, was, well, he, nobody was listening been, to me. I was like, <laughs> I, but I did say hats off. Look, he got it. You know, he, he basically what I think Lance was trying to tell you was that the flows were going to be dominated by whatever these mutual funds were right. doing. Now, these mutual funds, you know, they're owning stocks that are up 50, 100, 150 percent. So when you go to rebalance, it's not a matter of selling 10 shares or 100 shares. There were some large rebalancing. Mm -hmm. And we saw it in value stocks, too. A lot of buying in like the AT&Ts and Verizons that got really beaten up. And that was a sign that there was some mutual fund distribution where they had to sell the winners and buy the losers. Right mm -hmm. now, over the last few days, the market market rallied decently yesterday. It's poised to open up over a percent this morning. What's the narrative, right? Because the narrative in the market was the market's going down because the Fed is turning, pivoting to a more hawkish stance, right? Right. And the Fed even told us that yesterday via the Wall Street Journal. They said that they would like to be done with QE, tapering QE by March now instead of June, right? That mm -hmm. should have been very negative. It wasn't. The market rallied on that. But that was the same news that was pushing, quote unquote, pushing the market down in a prior week. So, so what's really hard and what I told her is trying to, trying to remain level-headed about what's really driving the market and what the market thinks is driving the market. And when, when you get big moves and those differences, and there are differences between the narrative and the reality, mm -hmm. there's a lot of opportunity right. and, and a, lot of, a lot of risk. It, it's, a, it's a chance you really got to watch what's going on and trade the markets carefully. And I think that's really become a, a bigger issue for individuals, too. And, and, you know, so I was talking about it in the opening of the show this morning. If you take a look at the indexes, yeah, they're down 3 4 5%, right? You know, they're not down that much from the peak. And so if you kind of just, you know, kind of looked at the market from kind of a, a side angle and not really paid much attention to it, you know, you go, oh, the market's down a little bit, no big deal. But underneath the surface, and, and uh, again, as I said this morning, we've got a chart in our daily commentary today. The number of stocks that are in the NASDAQ that are down 20 to 50% from their peaks, and that's just in the last you know, very short period here, um, rivals the same level that we saw back in December of 2018 when we were going through the Fed taper tantrum. So underneath the surface, 
you're getting the same kind of impact to the markets that we saw back during the taper tantrum when the Fed was trying to hike rates uh, back in 2018. But on the surface, it doesn't show up because four stocks, Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Google, have accounted for 70% of the return of the market in the last six months. And just recently during this decline, Apple was holding up. People were buying Apple. Apple's having positive returns when the rest of the market was down. And Apple's such a big component of the S&P and the NASDAQ. It's actually those, those top 10 stocks are supporting the, the, the overall value of the index while, the, while below that surface, the bottom 90% are getting crushed. And we, and we saw that in companies like DocuSign down 40%, Asana is down 40, 50% from its peak. I mean, there's been some real damage in these smaller cap stocks that don't show up on the surface of the index. Right, right. Actually, in the same uh, commentary, I showed that there were zero communication stocks above their 50-day moving average. Mm -hmm. And I believe there was only 20% above their 200-day moving average. So you look at some of these sectors and, you know, it's 80, 90%, 75% above their key moving averages, a huge sector of the economy. The communication sector is trading really poorly. Mm -hmm. Right. So so the breadth of the market is poor and it's been poor for the last week, last uh, month or so. Right. Right. And, you know, that's part of putting this whole story together and again, trying to separate out the narrative from the from the real story. And, the, the, you know, this is a great lesson over the last few weeks and probably the next couple of weeks. But when this becomes a much bigger lesson is next year. You know, I think I keep harping on that. But we're having a whole environment change on us next year. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, I want to talk a little bit more about that when we come back from the break. But the art, the, we have an article on our website this morning talking about market predictions for 2022 and really talking about these two opposing views between Morgan Stanley and, and Goldman Sachs. But we go through some of the history of, of those predictions. And again, to Mike's point is that, you know, they tend to miss the predictions at the most critical point. Uh, the value of predictions is when you when you avert the downside losses. But the other part is that predictions are really pretty useless because so many things can change in a given year. And again, as we go into next year, all we can do is look at the things we've got, the challenges we've got to deal with and how to navigate that in our portfolios. We'll talk about that with Michael Leibowitz when we come back from the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com retirement's not what it used to be and long-term care could enhance your golden years the question is not whether you can afford it but whether you can afford not to have it our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement join jonathan penn and chris liebham for the basics of long-term care register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care december 9th at noon realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to The Real Investment Show. Hey, 
And welcome back to the show this morning. Of course, as I was talking about uh, in the last segment a little bit about predictions for next year, obviously a lot of bullish predictions for next year as we as we go forward. Again, hopes are that everything will just kind of continue as they are, right? We've had, you know, strong, a very, very strong above trend economic growth this year. Of course, a lot of that was due to you know, massive amounts of liquidity being put into the markets. But now that's expected to continue into next year, um, along with record inflows of, of capital capital into, into the markets and uh, low interest rate policies that have supported markets. Those are set to continue next year. So again, lots of lots of expectations are for continuations of the same. Um, and here we are 12 years into a bull market. So, you know, is that really the case? And some of the things that we'll talk about here are just some of the risks, some of the headwinds uh, to these predictions as we move into next year. But again, we have the article on our website this morning that goes through a lot of this and just you know, really discussing the value of predictions, which there's really not a lot of value. Anybody telling you they know what's going to happen next year really doesn't. Um, <laughs> we've talked about the fact that the most accurate predictors are meteorologists and their and their, accu their accuracy of their predictions are for three days. So, you know, predicting what's going to happen next year or even next month is, uh, you know, pretty much a coin flip at best. So, Mike, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the Fed here. Um and they are seeming to, you know, despite the fact the market's selling off, normally when you have a 1% one, 1 or 2% correction in the market, you see them backpedal pretty quickly on any type of commentary that might be considered hawkish. But in this case, they're actually continuing, you know, with that. And, you know, we've got inflation data coming out here uh, this week. So, you know, is there a concern to some of this inflation data that maybe the Fed's seeing that we're not yet? Yeah, absolutely. And this morning, Yellen was on the tape saying that inflation is the number one problem. If you remember, maybe even on our show last week, if not two weeks ago, employment was the number one problem, according to Powell, who had yet to be renominated. Right. Right. So over the course of, let's call it two weeks, Jerome Powell was renominated for his chair at the Federal Reserve. And the employment problem has been solved. But now we got a big inflation problem. Well, who else has a big inflation problem? It's Joe Biden and right. the Democrats, right? Because if inflation is running six, seven percent in November of next year, it's going to be a Republican held Senate and House. Right. Right. There, there's very little doubt about that, in my opinion. Right. So inflation is the number one problem now. Anyone. That, and look, we've written about this numerous times. If you want a job, there's a job there. Anyone that's not almost anyone that's not working is because they don't want to work for whatever reason or they can't work for whatever reason. But regardless, the Fed can't do anything about that. Right. right? At the same time, inflation has been ticking up and they said, no, it's transitory. It's it's not going to last. Well, it's not transitory anymore. And they're they're telling you they're retiring the word transitory. Um, so. It almost feels, Lance, to me, this feels like a huge mistake the Fed is making. Mm -hmm. And I know that they have to talk the talk mm -hmm. and they have to say, we're going to control inflation because it becomes a psychological inflation, too. And we all start buying stuff because we're scared it'll be priced more the next day. Right. Right. But they are speeding up tapering, which means they're going to speed up rate hikes in theory. We'll see if they ever get there. But that, in theory, is what it means. And I believe that we're going to start seeing inflation slow down come the spring months of next year, not necessarily January, February. But when we get into March, April, May, these these rates of inflation are very high and they're really hard to continue. 
So again, the, the math behind this is growth rate, right? Mm -hmm. So the prices of used cars, for instance, is up, I, I don't know what, significantly up 40%, 50% right. from pre-COVID. The, if the price of used cars just stays where it is for the next three months, there's zero inflation in used cars, right? That's the math, right? right. The reality is that the price of used cars are still very expensive, but the math will tell you there's 0% inflation. And if the Fed sees 0% inflation, they're going to be cutting rates and doing more QE. Right. They want 2% inflation, right? right? So- which, which and again, I think that's a really interesting point because, you know, the Fed wants 2% inflation, which means that every quarter, every month, you know, however often this data is reported, of course, we're looking at this on a year-over-year -year basis, you know, what was the price of a used car last year? So last year it was 10000 This year it's 15000 for the same used car. Um, so it's up 50%, you know, in, in terms of year-over-year -year inflation. And to your point, if the used car is, is 15000 you know, in a month or two, uh, there's zero inflation. So in order for, you know, inflation to continue at current rates an already overvalued used car, I mean, there's only so much that people will pay for a particular used car before I'll go buy a new car. Right. And so the Fed wants that price of that used car to continue to increase at 2% a year regardless. And that's going to be more challenging when things are already overvalued, particularly like in the used car space. Once those used cars, you know, kind of work their way through the system and we have plenty of supply to meet demand, there's going to be a deflation in used car prices. And that's going to, and we're going to see the same thing in house prices. We'll see the same thing in, in, in other areas of the market for commodity-based products, because there's going to be a deflation of that as, you know, we clear up supply chains, et cetera. You know, Supply will meet demand and prices will come down. And now the Fed's got a problem. They're now, you know, stuck with either, you know, have moved up interest rates and you're causing a financial crisis or something, right? This is kind of always the history of the Fed and the markets. Right. And look, all the supply line problems, they're still there, but they're slowly resolving themselves. And I think they would look a lot better if it wasn't for Christmas. The problem was they started slowly resolving themselves at the same time that a massive amount of shipping and products started to hit the markets again mm -hmm. for Christmas. So when we get past, you know, into January and February, I think we'll see much more progress on getting rid of these supply lines, getting rid of all the ships in the ports, getting product out to the stores, which will then have an effect on price. They won't be able, the stores won't be able to push prices higher. Then at the same time, you got to ask yourself, well, how are people paying for, you know, $30,000 cars that should be worth 20000 right? And mm -hmm. we've seen a spike in credit cards. We've seen a spike in people using home equity loans. And that's all fine and dandy, but that's a very limited source. And if the Fed raises rates, that source, at least on the home equity side, goes away. And it you know raises credit card costs too, but it, it's already, what, 16 18%. It doesn't appear to me that anyone cares. Uh, <laughs> Well, not when you but, don't have a choice. I mean, your wages haven't kept up with the real rate of inflation. Right. And so we're seeing a massive surge in credit card spending, you know, for people making up the difference. They're not buying more stuff. They're buying the same amount of stuff, just having to pay a lot more for it. Right. And you can only put yourself in so much debt. Right. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that now, which is enabling the retailers to raise their prices. But I think it's very limited. And as we get into next year, I think the tide starts turning. And wouldn't it be funny if the tide starts turning just as the Fed raises rates and they get rid of QE?
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, we, we've talked about this. Well, before. But, this, but they but, should have done this a year ago. Right. And and this is the problem. And we've talked about this before, is that the Fed is always kind of a day late and a dollar short to the game because, you know, they should be hiking rates as soon as they start doing mass amounts of QE, start raising rates at the same time, allow the QE liquidity to help support the markets and the economy while you're hiking rates and getting to a normal level and that that kind of reloads the gun for the next recession yeah you're not going to get the price appreciation of the markets that you've had over the last you know 10 11 years but you'll have a, a healthier balance because you'll keep interest rate policy where it should be the problem as you said is that the fed's going to start hiking rates right at the time things slow down which means they're going to cause another correction you know big correction potentially in the markets a big slowdown in the economy then they're right back to dropping interest rates to zero kind of a wash rinse repeat cycle for for the markets and for the economy which suggests really you know how do we start looking into next year in terms of you know positioning portfolios and looking at where the opportunities may be right so the question is let's just say we look in our crystal ball and we think the stock market isn't going to grow. It's mm-hmm. just going to be flat, right? The question then is, or it's going to be up a couple percent, down a couple percent, which sectors, which stocks, which industries, which sub-industries, which a- asset classes will do better than the market? Where can we perform, outperform, right? So if you go back and look, and this is my article coming out tomorrow, continuation of last week, if you go back to 1999, value stocks were beaten up 97, 98, 99. Mm-hmm. Guess what outperformed? Not only didn't go, they, they basically held their own when the market cracked 50%. The NASDAQ was down 85 or 90%. Value stocks were basically flat or up a little bit. So there's always a place to hide out. Maybe it's bonds. Maybe it's some kind of commodity. Maybe it's, you know, MLPs or high yield junk. I mean, who knows where it's going to be, mm-hmm. but the key is to move and find find those sectors and assets that will both protect you, but also try to eke out a return, even if the market is having a tough time. And I think that's the challenge next year. This year was not a challenge at all. Mm-hmm. This year was by the market, by the fangs, you know, well, actually, were, this this year was by the by the the companies with the worst fundamentals because those are the ones that went up the most because that was where all the retail traders were hanging out, right? Right. But right. you know that dynamic changes, and again, I think we're seeing some of that dynamic change now. You know, companies with the worst fundamentals are the ones getting hit the hardest, and and there is a realization that fundamentals do matter, and a lot of these companies with no fundamentals, no no earnings, no income, etc you know, are having, you know, these biggest corrections as a lot of this speculative behavior is kind of being flushed out of the market temporarily. But again, that's a temporary thing. And what's going to determine next year is really, I think, comes back down to monetary policy and really kind of global inflows. And we'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Retirement's not what it used to be, and long-term care could enhance your golden years. The question is not whether you can afford it, but whether you can afford not to have it. Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Jonathan Penn and Chris Liebham for the basics of long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. December 9th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the shows. And welcome back to the shows. Okay. He gave me the finger. Oh, that was the other finger you meant. We were thinking the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, of course, as we get ready to wrap up the show. Uh, Futures are pointing uh, nicely higher this morning, about 350 up on the Dow. NASDAQ's going to be up over 200 points today. Uh, starting to see a little bit of buying into some of the beaten down tech names. Uh, NVIDIA is going to be up nicely this morning, AMD, et cetera. So, you know, opportunity here to maybe add some exposure on the dip to some of the kind of the leaders of the markets. Um, Bitcoin um, up rebounding nicely today as well, up above 51,000. Again, you know, that's, you know, kind of been a real um, kind of indicator of, speculative appetite in the markets and again when markets have been declining bitcoin goes down with it when markets rally bitcoin goes up with it there's a fairly decent correlation between uh the bitcoin and markets so again you know we're seeing some some buying and kind of that speculative appetite returning uh to to bitcoin as well now interestingly enough mutual fund distributions have nothing to do with bitcoin um most mutual funds don't own bitcoin in in their fund so you know that's that's just kind of a correlation between markets and sentiment risk, et cetera. So seeing a little bit of that action. But again, as, as we were talking about before the break, you know, one of the things that have really supported the markets this year, we've had a trillion dollars, over a trillion dollars of global liquidity inflows into the U.S. So just, you know, from around the world, just massive amounts of liquidity coming to the U.S. because this is where the performance has been. If you take a look at international markets, emerging markets, they have not performed well. They haven't performed well over the last several years, right? They've underperformed the markets. And, and so when you kind of get into this environment, we saw this back in 99 as well. If you were around back in 98, 99, the, the, the conversation was, is why are the markets surging so much? And it was because the whole world was dumping money into the U.S., because it was where all the performance was, right? So everybody chases performance, and if performance is in the U.S. market, that's where global money flows go. So, again, that's what we saw this year. And and the trillion dollars, don't dismiss that, because that is about three times the rate of global inflows that we've had at, at, at the peak of the markets back in 2008 and back in 2000. I mean, it's just a massive flood of liquidity coming in. So not surprisingly, markets have responded well to that. On top of the fact we sent checks to households, we gave a lot of retail traders, you know, $1,400 checks twice, and actually $1,400 check twice plus a $900 check and a phone app and said, hey, go try, go trade stocks. So that, that, those billions came into the markets. And then stock buybacks. 
um, have have really hit a record this year. Um, just a trillion dollars worth of stock buybacks from companies as companies buying back their own shares in order to benefit their insiders and, and of course, record inflows there as well. So again, just this massive surge of money coming out of the markets, Federal Reserve doing $120 billion in QE every month. They're now starting to talk about reducing that. And again, if the market does begin to stumble and underperform a bit, a lot of these other flows of capital, global inflows of capital, stock buybacks, those things will reverse as well as lack of performance takes the appetite out of injecting that, that capital into the market. So there's some risk going into next year because of higher rates potentially from the Fed and, and slower QE that might have a compounded effect through the rest of the markets because of all these other inflows that are coming in because of the Federal Reserve doing $120 billion in QE a month and market prices going up. Mike, your thoughts? I would actually word that a little differently. There's a lot of risk, but now, now there's growing reward. So if you look at the, the PE of U.S. markets, it's tripled from roughly the KP has gone from 15 to 45 since the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. Emerging markets and developed markets have been flat. They're between 10 and 15, right? So the money, not just over the last year, but over the last decade has been flowing into the U.S., so that's great. It worked out well for U.S. domestic investors, right, or for investors in the U.S. But we always have to stay, like Wayne Gretzky said, said know where the puck is going to be, right? And that's where we got to look at all these beaten down areas, whether it's emerging markets, developed market, value stocks like we talked about earlier. Keep an eye on them. It doesn't mean buy them all today. Certainly not, right, because the environment that, that we're talking about is still in. The mindset, the narratives that, that drove the market to where it is now are still in place. Mm -hmm. But as these tailwinds become headwinds, like Lance named a bunch of them, <coughs> and there's a few more, as they become headwinds, the regime changes. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But have a playbook. Have yeah. these ideas in hand so that, that when, when you say, okay, inflation looks like it's starting to simmer down, the QE is serious. They're going to reduce QE by March and maybe and raise start raising rates. Well, maybe value stocks, maybe developed market, foreign developed markets are the better places to be. So you start slowly rotating your portfolio from what's worked to what you think will work. And it's not going to just flip overnight. These type of big time regime changes take a little while. But but what's important today is to to have a list, have a grocery list in case the tailwinds become headwinds. And look, we don't know what the future holds. There may be another big fiscal stimulus bill come March, and the Fed may say to fund that, we're going to have to do even more QE, and we're back to another 2021, right? So we're not guessing. We're just saying here are some options if, if what we think happens happens. Right. But and, and we're not making changes to our portfolio today for what we think is going to happen in March or June. Yeah, I think that's important. And, and again, you know, because if you go back in history, right, and, you know, every year over the last decade, it's been, wow, you know, emerging markets, international stocks, they're super cheap relative to the U.S. And next year is going to be a big year for those. And, they, and it hasn't been. And, you know, that's never matured. So if you kept if you've been running a diversified portfolio, you know, where, you know, kind of this buy and hold, 
you know, Harry Markowitz type structure where you own a little bit of emerging markets, international, small cap, mid cap, you know, large cap. You've really underperformed just being domestically invested because those narratives really never came came to fruition. Same thing for value. Value stocks have been, you know, you've done some research. You know, we've had a very long period of time where value stocks have grossly underperformed growth uh, in this market because of, you know, there's, there's been this idea of no risk, right? I mean, the Fed's doing QE. There's no risk to, to chasing risk. So I'm going to buy risk. And, you know, and that's really put a lot of pressure on, on value stocks and they haven't performed as well. So again, you know, the, the, the regime changes you're talking about is, is absolutely correct. It will happen. The question is, is when and what causes it? And, you know, and, and for us, we have to wait for that to occur. We have to watch for it. We've got to wait for it to start to occur and then make those changes in our portfolio. You know, uh, you know for, and this is why Mike's point is important. Don't go out today and just change your whole portfolio to value in emerging markets because you think it's going to you know, outperform next year. It, it hasn't worked. And you certainly don't want to take that bet now. Because that's been a losing bet over the last decade. Wait for it to change. And and when look, when it changes, there's going to be a long runway once it changes to make money with it. Right, Mike? Right, exactly. The market will give you time. It's, it's vital to just understand where those oppor potential opportunities lie. But wait for it. Wait till we start seeing not just one inflation number. Inflation comes out this Friday. It's actually supposed to be 7% which I think is not going to make for some nice headlines. But, <laughs> but you know, say we get to January and February, inflation is 4%, 5%. Mm -hmm. It's going to take a few CPI reports to get to the point where investors start realizing, you know what, inflation isn't a problem. But we may get there and they say, okay, well, the Fed doesn't have to do anything then. They can keep doing QE. So even if inflation comes down, the Fed may counter it. Right. And so there are so many balls in play. We're juggling, you know, 30 balls and we're trying to, to create a portfolio based on all that. And yes, one or two of those balls may create a slowdown, but something that we're not even thinking about, the Omicron virus, the pick another one, the there's a new Delta variant, you know, a new variant. I don't know what it's going to be. And it's probably not even has to do with COVID. It could be something entirely different. Russia. Right. I mean, who knows what it's going to be, but you, you kind of have to think ahead, have a macro strategy, have an investment strategy, but be willing to change on a dime because regime changes take a while and the Fed will resist a regime change because the regime change that Lance and I are talking about is not pretty and it doesn't accomplish their goals. And it certainly doesn't accomplish Biden's goals of retaining the House and Senate. Mm -hmm. So those are the forces against the regime ch regime change, and those are very very powerful forces. Right, and and again, you know, it's and and this is the kind of the unfortunate thing. Just to you know, kind of conclude this, the unfortunate thing is is we've not allowed markets to function as they would normally. Um, you know, through all these monetary policies and interventions, trying to create outcomes. You know, there is a payback for that at some point. And, and and unfortunately, we've elevated risk in the markets to such a level that that payback is going to be brutal when it occurs. But again, you know, when it occurs, who knows? And it could be another year from now. It could be five years from now. It could be another decade. Who knows how long monetary policy can continue to inflate markets. But the further that we do it, 
in order to try to maintain a status quo, the worse the eventual outcome is going to be. Because eventually these you know, valuations and mean reversions always occur in markets. It's just a function of, of time and psychology and whatever changes that psychology is going to be critically important. Um, last thought, 30 seconds, go. <laughs> That's it. CPI. <laughs> CPI is going to be a big deal. It, it's potentially going to be 7%. And I think that's going to put a ton of pressure on the Fed. And they meet the following next Wednesday, the yep. 15th, I believe. You're going to start seeing a very different uh, tone from the Fed. And that wraps up the show for today. Get by our website. Our articles are out this morning. Uh, we talked a little bit about how the Fed is actually screwing American savers. That was yesterday's article. Today's article talking about these outlooks for 22, two opposing views and how to navigate that and the risks to look at as we go into next year. All that on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Of course, get subscribed for our daily market commentary. That out this morning here at 730, along with our three minutes on markets and money. So much stuff at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll see you tomorrow.